comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. recording and this is out now with aaron and abe i am aaron and as always this is abe what's up hey out now is a film podcast as abe and i discussing new movies weekly we also bring in the latest discussion about movie trailers box office results and predictions a callback to past films similar to the main film of the week games and other fun stuff this is episode 66 and the main film of the week is one that we've all been anticipating for quite some time it is the dark knight rises and, uh, yes, the third and final chapter of the Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Batman trilogy? I don't know what he'd call it. Probably Dark Knight trilogy. Dark Knight trilogy. Dark Knight, yeah. the, the Cape, Dark Knight trilogy. Ca- Caped and Cowled trilogy. There you go. <laughs> Happy medium. There you go. Uh, so, joining us... The for, Leather Daddy series. There we go. <laughs> okay. So, joining us, man, for... Um, this first part of our Dark Knight Rises review, we have writer for Fast Film Reviews and the current CEO of Wayne Enterprises, Mark Oban. Hey, everybody. And, of course, writer for Things I Know About the Movies and Movie Smackdown, the child who rose from the depths of the darkness, Adam Gentry. You're the man now, dog. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all doing well today. I'm excited to talk about this film. This is, you know, we've been really looking forward to this film. I think, I mean, on the, the summer preview, I think more than one of us, if not all of us, said it was our, our most anticipated film of the summer, if not the year. It was kind of my, like, it's, I've had to put it aside because it seemed like an obvious choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to get into that. And just some announcements here. The first one is, uh, this is part one of this review. This is going to be a spoiler-free review to the best that we can. Well, you know, mild spoilers, maybe. But the spoiler-free is the main intention for this part of the review. And then we're going to have a second review that's going to be all about spoilers. And that's going to come out maybe a day or two after this podcast episode comes out. So this is the this is just part one of our Dark Knight Rises review. That second one will be, like, all Dark Knight Rises. This is going to be a regular episode. But that will be basically like a bonus episode that's concentrated on spoilers. So, with that said, a um, few more announcements. Um, I went to Comic-Con last weekend. I think many people are aware of this. And I did a lot of coverage for Comic-Con, which is all available at ysoblue.com. And uh, so, yeah, please feel free to check that out. I did a lot of a lot of tiring hard work there. <laughs> so, if you like checking it out, go for it. Let's get to our questions. Uh, we got, I think we got some questions on Facebook. We did. We asked some folks if they had any questions for our Dark Knight podcast. Um, Jim Dietz, who is a friend of the show, sent us a couple of questions. One of them is... a. Uh, geared for more toward the San Diego Comic-Con guys. Um, it says, or it asks, you just saw all the Batmobiles in one spot at San Diego Comic-Con. If you could take one home, which one would, would it have been? I think we can all answer this question. We've all seen the Batmobiles of the various yes. films, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. I, so I'll, I'll start then. I, I, I would say that Michael Keaton's Bat, the Tim Burton Batmobile from the 89 Batman. That's like, yes, when I, I think Batmobile, that's like my vision of it. Plus it's got shields. <laughs> yeah. I like the I like the old Batmobile from the original '60s TV series. Yeah, the West Batmobile. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's kind of a quaintness to that one. I like it. It's practical, also. I like the little bubbles that they the Batman and Robin used to sit in. It's the easiest to parallel park, that's for sure. 
I'd have to remodel my garage, but I would totally take the one from Batman Forever. Sexiest Batmobile <laughs> of all time. And the longest Batmobile of all time. And, well, by def- I said it was the sexiest. <laughs> uh, keeping it blue. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, was there another question? Yeah, there is another question. Um, Jim also asked, did Bane's voice at times remind you of Dr. Henry Killinger from the Venture Brothers? And if you Google <laughs> Dr. Henry Killinger and see a YouTube clip, you can get a little glimpse of what he what he sounds like. He sounds like this this Austrian, I guess, doctor. And uh, yeah, he actually really does, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there's no doubt about it. I'm, and, a, I'm a big Venture Brothers fan, and I could the I was very happy to see that question. So yes, I would agree. And I'll put Dr. Henry Killinger in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for the questions, Jim. Yeah, that's uh, Jim Dietz out from the uh, Walking Dead TV podcast and the Legion of Dudes. Always, He's been on many of our commentaries as well. Always happy to hear some feedback from him. So cool. Uh, speaking of uh, just random shout-outs, I believe I've just been informed by uh, by Mark that uh, he's he's, uh, he's occasionally been on another podcast. He's been cheating on us with someone else. <laughs> Moonlighting. Moonlighting, okay. The, uh, the MCGTV podcast. So... Um, for anyone that's listening to this show, based on you know Mark's appearances on that show, uh, you know, welcome, happy to welcome guys. Well, happy to have your ears. That's something I want to say more. I guess. Happy to have your ears. <laughs> that, the audience, gentlemen. Should, that should be our tagline. Happy out now with your name. Happy to have your ears. No, no, no. Well, we want your ears. We want your ears. <laughs> ear me, ear that's, me. That's our 2013 slogan. We're changing it up. We're gonna remodel. What's your What's your current slogan? Do you have one? Uh, if you have an hour to kill. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on then. Let's get to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a few questions to kind of set the tone for the podcast and better get to know everybody. So uh, with that said, let's start with Abe this week. All right, Aaron. Yeah. Who would win in a cage match? Huh. Aim or Bonesa? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Bonesa. He's just an actor, right? I mean, he might he might be tough. He might step into a Slim Jim occasionally. But Bane, he's a wild animal born in the darkness, so I'm going to have to lean towards Bane on that one. I would agree with you. Bonesaw, he just, you know, he was a cool guy. Okay. Um, Adam. Yes, sir. Q or Lucius Fox? That's a good question because, I mean, they're both really smart guys. So the, it really depends on, on what you want out of it. I mean, Lucius Fox is really, really intelligent, and he comes up with terrific designs. But I'm going to go with Q, just because um, it'd be a much more entertaining visit every time. I mean, Fox is cool, but Q cracks these awesome jokes and puts you down and tells you what not to do, which is secretly telling you what you're actually going to have to do to escape from danger. (laughs) So, I mean, I would personally have to go with, with Q, although Fox is awesome. All right. It's an honest answer. I like it. Mark... If you could play any character from the Batman universe, who would you play and why? You know what? I think I would do the Riddler. And the reason why is because I don't want to say the Joker because that is like that was done to perfection. And there's really no way that I could even possibly top that or even come close. But I feel like the Riddler would be something that I think I could play effectively and maybe could bring something that maybe hasn't been displayed in the past so i i would choose that character all right aaron yes was 
actor Thomas Lennon better at playing a doctor in Memento or The Dark Knight Rises? <laughs> Julia Taylor, this one right at me. Oh, um, totally. Um, <laughs> um, so I watched Memento today, and um, I don't think I, I didn't I, I didn't necessarily forget, but it occurred to me that Thomas Lennon is in both The Dark Knight Rises and in Memento, playing basically the same kind of character. He's, He's playing. He plays in Doctor in both character in both the. Uh, movies i'm gonna say memento because he stands up to steven tobolowski and gives him crap so that just kind of <laughs> makes me enjoy that so i'm gonna i'm gonna say thomas lennon in uh, was there was there like a little bit of buzz in the theater when he like appeared in the movie there there was there was a quiet kind of laughter for people that recognized that that was thomas right, lennon right. in a serious superhero drama <laughs> right it, it, it wouldn't be like a, a mainstream laugh i think but there yeah, was definitely yeah. some... there was like there's a little bit of like kind of like hey that's uh, that's kind of funny but like i mean it kind of got punctuated by the fact that he says essentially a joke at the end of his scene that he's in so all right, Abe. Mm-hmm. Who should direct or star in The Flash? Oh, it's a tough one. I would say I ask this because, of course, with Man of Steel and with Batman ending, of course, they're now coming after a justice possible Justice, justice League, League movie. So right. now we obviously need to get The Flash out of the way. Aren't there rumors right now spreading about who is going to be directing and starring in that? Well, a long time ago, before Green Lantern happened, it seemed like Ryan Reynolds was very hotly <laughs> involved in that situation, but now he seems to be starring in every superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say Tom Hardy, because Tom Hardy's awesome. <laughs> Tom Hardy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You made, you, I don't know if he would make a great Flash, but I don't know. I, I'm just kind of spitballing here. Directed by Christopher Nolan. It's going to be a darker flash. <laughs> oh, terrible answer, Abe. Yep. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, just listeners. Edit, just edit it all up. It'll sound great. Yeah, I'll just come up with something post. <laughs> all right. Um, Adam. Yes, sir. Did you want to see Batman doing more martial arts fighting in the film as opposed to a bunch of fist fights? Considering that he's like a trained martial artist in, I guess, a range of... Uh, Martial arts. Abe, he's also adaptable. This is true. Thanks, Catwoman. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him do a little more Tai Chi. You know, that might have made it a little more realistic. But um, well, I mean, the thing with this with this particular Batman is, I mean, you, it's really cool to look at the films and their chronology because I mean, you look at Batman Begins and they were really playing up the ninja aspect and you couldn't see anything. And then Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises are a little bit more realistic and that you just you get a chance to really see how hard he's hitting people. I mean, I would love to see more kicks, but at the same time, I mean, the, the, that costume, they don't get away from the fact that it's a cumbersome costume, you know, and they, they make jokes about it, like, oh, in the first one, he can't turn his head and different stuff. So I think uh-huh. if you start having him bust out a lot of kicks, I think it would kind of take away a little bit, whereas he is, like, if you remember in the, in the, the first right. film... Russell Gould always tells them, like, you know, your maintain surround. your sure footing, you know, mind your surroundings and whatnot. So yeah. it'd be awesome, but I'm not uh, cool uh, with him punching people's lights out. Adam, you make good a very job good point on continuity. There. Adam, you make a good point there involving they do make reference to the fact that his costume is cumbersome as opposed to something like the Burton films or the Schumacher films where he just, you know, thanks to the magic of editing, you can just show Batman killing a bunch, beating down a bunch of people, and, you know, it's obviously not a problem for him. Like, yeah. And it's, it's cool, too, because, I mean, like, in this film, I obviously can't say, but something happens that references something about the costume earlier, and it's like, oh, yeah, they totally said that could happen, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, 
Mark. Yes. Uh, taking away any of the Batman films, uh, any of these current Batman films, shall I say, what's your favorite superhero movie and why? Right. Oh, that's easy. Super, the original Superman from 1978. Um, I why? I mean, it's just it just gets the grand myth of the legend down perfectly, and I think Christopher Reeve embodied Superman perfectly. He had the sense of humor, and the and he looked like Superman. And, I mean, emotionally, I was invested in the film. I mean, I have to say both of them, Superman and Superman Part Two, which is, to be honest, is equal to maybe even Part Two was even better. But I'll just say Superman since that was the first. I just, I love that film. I mean, that, that's actually my favorite superhero film, period. I mean, not even, even if you include the Batman films. So, yeah, I love that film. That's cool because like, a lot of people always nowadays they will pick one of they'll usually pick the Dark Knight is the traditional answer people pick and it's nice to hear someone that kind of is like oh you know I like that but I like this too yeah the Dark Knight is definitely up there and and probably would be my number two but yeah that like that's... like mine for example is like my, I put I would put Dark Knight probably number two as well and I would go with Spider Man two Spider Man two is my answer for that question that's a good one too Abe what do you think is the greatest trilogy of all time Oh man, that's a good question, and that that was brought up on Facebook a few times, and I think in news articles too. Um, the greatest trilogy of all time, I'd say Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good answer. That's actually no, I, it's not a trilogy. There's four of them. <laughs> that's, that's like that's like four of them, and like one straight to video. Yeah, I mean, but, regardless of whether the answer has merit i would i will include that because i mean i would include home alone only three i would even one. include in i would even include indiana jones if you want to say that because i'll just accept if you want oh, yeah, I, I can't see i can't i can't allow that with the trilogies it's not a trilogy anymore you, yeah. you can you can you can, you can poo poo the last one all you want three. to and i know adam actually you like it and i like it too for what it is it's it's the weakest easily for me but was that was that so, a real answer abe no, uh, actually... Uh, <laughs> was, was, was Home Alone the, your real answer? Because I can give you a couple suggestions that I think would blow that film out. Actually, um, like realistically speaking, I, I know that the, the maybe like the third is not the greatest, but I actually really like the Back to the Future series um, a lot. And that's probably because I grew up with them. And I, I saw the first one when I was like eight or something like that. And I was just super blown away by, by the thought of time travel, flex capacitor, the DeLorean, and all the other stuff and you know nikes with no laces so i was super enthralled i know people don't really like the third one um i think it's okay uh, you, you know actually when those films came out it was the second one that was maligned the most and the third one was liked and i think over time the now when you ask people they mm -hmm. they put down the third film but at the time when the second one came out that one was trashed i mean and badly I remember when I, I saw that movie in the theater, yeah. and everyone—I mean, like I remember everyone was like bad mouthing it. Hmm. I didn't know that. It's just Star Wars hand down for me. Like, no oh, dude, original yeah, Star Wars. Original yeah, Star Wars. I, I would say there's, there's no question in my mind. The original <laughs> Star Wars trilogy. There's nothing else that's yeah. even close. Yeah. Well, and, and there's the Lord of the Rings too. I see. I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge ringer, so it doesn't really. No. <laughs> I put other ones above the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Love Lord of the Rings, but I, I still got to go with the original Star Wars. I, w I would say the original Star Wars as well. That was my answer when I when one I of these things is not like the other. Abe. <laughs> <laughs> Post production is going to sound all unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think that's I, I, another one I'm going to put out there. And this is I like your choices better. 
but I really like the Toy Story films. You don't need to laugh about that. I think that's a, that's I, a legit yeah. answer. I think story. all three of those are really good. The, the Toy Story trilogy, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic trilogy. It's pretty solid. A lot man. of people don't really kind of think about that, I think. They don't think of it, yeah. Yeah, that's it was something that did pop into my head, but yeah, I love those. They, they do all right. <laughs> I would even, I would, I mean, I would even argue the Bourne trilogy at, at some point as well, but I mean, not, right, right. I wouldn't put that's that true. way high up there, but I think, I mean, I think each entry is very solid. As, right. as opposed to a lot of trilogies where the third one really drops the ball. I'd go with Toy Story over Born personally. I, yeah, I would too. I'm just saying I would put that in the running if there was like a top. And Toy, and Toy Story is one of those weird ones where like the third film is arguably the best. I mean, that never happens. Uh, yeah, uh, I would say I, I, would, I would put the, the the Dollars trilogy. They get progressively better. Ooh, ooh, ooh! I forgot. I forgot. This, three colors. This, yeah, this three colors full, of awesome. dollars for a few dollars more oh. in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. There's also the the Godfather is something some people think nope. about. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, no. There are two Godfather films, Mark. I don't know I what just, the 1990 I'm not was. making a case for it. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. Sorry, sorry. I tend to, yeah, sorry. All right, so I think that's going to do it for Know Everybody. I think we've all asked each other our questions, and we've gotten two better no, everybody. So let's move on then to our movie trailer talk, where we discuss some of the latest movie trailers. And of course, with a movie as big as The Dark Knight Rises, we certainly got a couple new movie trailers this week. And the first one I'm going to talk about is the one that's most closely associated with The Dark Knight Rises. It is Man of Steel. This is the new Superman film from director Zack Snyder and produced by, of course, Dark Knight Rises director Christopher Nolan. And um, yeah, this is a new Superman movie, and it stars Henry Cavill as Superman, and uh, has Russell Crowe as Jor-El, Kevin Costner and Diane Lane as Ma and Pa Kent, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, and Michael Shannon as, quotes Zod, since they don't seem to want to confirm that officially. And, uh, yeah, this is merely a teaser, I guess, from what, what's been kind of shown, but uh, what, what do we have to say, uh, Mark? You know, if the trailer looks a little bit like, like they're advertising the perfect storm in the beginning of it when you see it you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll know what i'm talking about but i was gonna say it too it didn't really wow yeah. great minds think alike but yeah. I, I there was nothing really i mean i don't know it, it it didn't really get me wanting to see it i mean i i'm interested in seeing it because i love superman as a character so that's why i want to see the film but this trailer didn't really get me excited about it so and i the the music is just a little bit it was almost a little bit of a parody like the and that I just it I didn't warm up to it so you know uh, well I, I want to see the movie because it's the Man of Steel but not because of this trailer Adam right with Mark um, it's one of those things where it's a Superman trailer where you hardly see Superman at all and I get that it's that's that's the point and that's the novelty and whatever and I love you know Russell Crowe voiceover is better right now than just about anybody else's voiceover. I'm a, you know anybody not named Morgan Freeman that is. So you but, so like to, so, oh, sorry, but to, you add the you have the Russell Crowe narration because yeah, there's, I do. there are two narr- there are two versions of the trailer. One has Kevin Costner narrating and one has Russell Crowe narrating. Oh, okay, I, I saw yeah, the uh-oh. one with Russell Crowe. I didn't know that there was a, a Kevin Costner one. Mm-hmm. I'm right with Mark. I will totally go see this movie. Um, but this trailer isn't something that makes me particularly excited about it. Aside from the fact that it's the foot- first footage I've ever seen, I tend to like Zack Snyder in general. So I mean, I think. Can I comment on that for a second? No. Uh, Zack Snyder, I'm sorry, I just had, I forgot to say this. Zack Snyder is almost becoming M. Night Shyamalan to me. 
So he's dangerously close to becoming that director. What, what, do, you mean, what do you mean by that? By disappointments. Like once great director and, and now everything he does is just, I can't even watch it. So we'll see. The, this Man of Steel movie is going gonna, is gonna to be either the nail in the coffin or it's going to ri- make him rise again. We'll so see. did you, you like Dawn of the Dead? Oh, yeah. And you uh, like 300? I like 300, And yeah. you, did you like Watchmen? I, I mean, these are getting progressively worse, but yeah, I, I liked Watchmen, but not not especially. Not I wasn't like crazy about it. And you it. didn't like uh, Sucker Punch, I take it. No. Okay, I'm just, I'm just curious because it seems like Shyamalan. There was like or the or the the Owl Guardians of Gahul or whatever that thing was. It was pretty, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm just asking because it seems like Shyamalan. It seemed more like it took a very steep turn down as opposed to he progressively got worse for me. No, like, because... I li- like I liked his first three movies, and then he made The Village, and I hated it completely. No, I, I think Shyamalan gets too much crap. I really do. I don't think he deserves the crap he gets. I mean, I personally, I, I think Signs is arguably his best film. I like Lady in the Water. Um, I don't understand why there's so much hatred directed toward that film. I think it's a sweet little story tale. It's, it's really nice, and it, it moved me emotionally. So, I mean, I think he gets all this schlock, you know, thrown his way. I'm, uh, to be fair, I haven't seen The Happening, and I haven't seen Last Airbender. I don't really care to see Last Airbender. There's, yeah, and no the idea of an R-rated Shyamalan is kind of scary to me, because I'm squeamish. It's a very light R. That's The Happening the, 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 the is a movie that was PG-13, and they like He just gets things. so much crap thrown his way, and it's like, I, I, I like The Village. I think The Village is a good movie. It was terribly mismarketed, but I don't think it's a bad film. I just, I don't like... The crap that gets thrown his way when I don't think he deserves it. I agree with you. I like signs. I, I like, like signs a lot. I like it's just like it's just signs. not it's not up to the level of the sixth sense or unbreakable. Yeah, unbreakable I hold that as his best one. But then yeah. yeah, that's great. But the village I do I I don't like the village no. and and then and they and it was I mean it was a it was a mild dislike. The Lady in the Water a little bit more and the happening was really, really bad. Like it was really bad. See, I like the happening more than I like the villain, oh, lady in the water. I don't like I don't like the happening, but I I, I like that movie more than those other two movies. <laughs> Just because it's like it's so out there. It's all it's a comedy practically. It's like a weird Twilight up Twilight Zone comedy. That's how I look at it because it's just too ridiculous. We're talking a lot about Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> Abe, what are your thoughts on the Man of Steel? <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with Martin. At first, I was like thinking to myself that this was a uh, Perfect Storm kind of licking trailer. Um, I actually really like the music. I dug the music probably because it reminded me a lot of when Gandalf was, uh, you know, falling into the, the, the pit with Alrog. the Alrog, right. Um, but I would agree that it doesn't really make me necessarily, it doesn't necessarily entice me to want to see the Man of Steel. I'm just going to see the Man of Steel because I want to see the Man of Steel. And maybe this teaser trailer uh, was too teasy. Uh, I actually thought back to Superman Returns, that trailer, and that, that teaser trailer was actually really well done, especially, like, when Jor-El is saying that, you know, I, these people have a good heart, and I've sent them you, my, my only son. And, um, you know, the movie is a different story, but it, I thought that that teaser trailer was pretty well done. So for this one, it was, I... Yeah, I, I've i kind of gone over my thoughts on the Man of Steel trailer and our, or, like, the footage I got to see at Comic-Con and our, the previous episode I did with Alan about comic-con so i don't i'm not gonna kind of retrace my steps but essentially i'm not a big superman guy to begin with but like i do like the people involved in this movie watching this trailer um i kind of agree with you guys i guess where it didn't like it's not the reason that i want to go and see this movie that's said i do i do like kind of the look they're going for i guess but at the same time abe you mentioned superman returns and that movie i don't like but it 
did know how to sell me going to see that movie, and I, yeah, I was just met with disappointment. Here, I'm not saying I'm consciously optimistic. I'm just optimistic in general just because I like the people involved in it. But fool me once, shame on you. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, the Man of Steel comes out uh, next June, June 14th, 2013. So uh, I'm sure we'll see more trailers in, you know, before that, and we'll probably talk about it again. But uh, until then, we'll see. The uh, next trailer we can talk about is the new film from Sam Raimi. It is Oz the Great and Powerful. And this is kind of a this is a film that's set in the universe of the Wizard of Oz. It's not necessarily like a prequel to the Dorothy story, but it's in the same way that Prometheus is not a prequel to Alien, but it's set in the same universe. And it stars James Franco as Oz, as the man who would become Oz the Great and Powerful. And he goes from it seems he goes from being kind of a magician, vaudevillian of sorts, and to going into the the, the world of Oz or the the sit the, the great. Uh, the, what's, the, what's the city called? I can't even think of it. The, the Emerald City. Emerald City, yes, the Emerald City. And um, how he becomes the man who he becomes. So, um, yeah, with that said, Adam, what did you think of this trailer? Um, I'm a huge Oz fan uh, in general because uh, as a child, I don't know, a lot of people don't realize this, but there are like 14 Oz books that L. Frank Baum wrote. So it's not just The Wizard, but there's like 14 books, and I just absolutely devoured them as a child. And I still have most of them and, and like to get them out from time to time and uh, really just really just enjoy Baum's style and I love the characters and whatnot. Um, and so I, I'm excited for this film. Um, I like the way that the trailer kind of uh, pays homage to the original film by starting off in black and white and a lot of sepia tones and then it gets to Oz and it goes to color. The, the thing that kind of worries me a bit is the heavy reliance on CGI, just because, I mean, in general, I'm, I get a little annoyed by films that rely so much on CGI, particularly when it's not Avatar-quality CGI. Um, yeah, but, but, but that said, I like the fact that um, a lot of fairy tales are getting this kind of reimagining and being dug out. I like the idea that we're going to see sort of the wizard before he was the wizard because that was a part that a, a, a series of events that L. Frank Baum kind of alluded to but he never really got heavy into him um, so I'm I'm excited for the film definitely um, with the caveat that I do hope that it's not going to be as VFX heavy as it appears to be from the trailer well you are a fan of the, the uh, Alice in Wonderland film correct? I am yes and that's a I mean this is from the producer of Alice in Wonderland as it heavily touts and it's will heavily tell in its marketing and I like that, that's very true but by the same token um, it's paying homage to the original Wizard of Oz which obviously they Wizard, made without yeah. having to use the effects and so then when they cut to suddenly it, it's Oz and you got like little computerized fairies and bugs or whatever flying at you it's a little bit jarring okay uh, Mark alright so uh, you guys touched on this but when you see the trailer it has the words from the director of the Spider-Man trilogy and I was thinking, yeah. And then it comes on with, and the producer of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and I was like, aww. <laughs> Which, obviously, I, I don't like that film. And this, that talking about the CGI is the reason why. And it looks as if the entire film is filmed in front of a green screen. I mean, the whole film looks like that. So I, I didn't really warm up to this trailer and it it didn't make me want to see it i mean it, it looks pretty i mean they they did definitely there's a lot of hard work that went into making it and i don't begrudge the talents of the 
set designers and all that. But I, as far as story, I mean, they're really going to have to scale back and, and find a good story within all that, like, CGI, because it, it just didn't really charm me. And I, I know you can't tell this from a trailer, but it looks like James Franco is phoning it in. I, I mean, I, I know you... There's no way I could possibly know that from the trailer, but he he looks disinterested in the trailer, and I just I don't know I I, I maybe I'm picking up on something wrong. I would but. I would agree with you just because I think I got the same vibe from him here as I did from Rise of the Planet of the Apes and a movie that I do or like, from, or from his Academy Award hosting ability. Yeah, but. Award. But uh, <laughs> oh. I mean, as much as I like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, James Franco is not like the highlight of that film for me, and that's kind of what I got from the kind of the tone here where it's like I'd like to see I I'd, I'd be happy if Franco was like you know he delivered in this movie in some capacity and you know he might because he is an Academy Award nominated actor he, if he wanted to he probably could if he wasn't busy writing a book that day or something I mean this movie it's a Sam Raimi movie for me and that's that's what has me interested I, I yes I I, I, I like the idea of him of the, since he's he's done many different types of movies throughout his career it, besides the Spider-Man trilogy, of course, the Evil Dead trilogy, but then also, like, movies like A Simple Plan, which is a, an amazing movie. Oh, or, um, you know, The Quick and the Dead, or um, for, for Love of the King. So, I mean, he's... Did he do... He did Bad Taste, right? Is it called? No, that's or? that's Peter Jackson. Oh, uh, sorry. Who have, I, they have similar styles, like, and if you kind of put them together in terms of kind of how, right, how they I'm... how they use their camera. And they've even had similar pedigrees in terms of the films they made, where you have something like A Simple Plan versus um, Heavenly Creatures or something like that. But, um... Yeah, well, I mean, it's a Sam Raimi film. I like. I, I'm a very big fan of Sam Raimi's style, and I'm not one that like goes out to see movies in 3D. But this movie is in 3D. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, Mark. And it's as much as I don't like necessarily care about the fact that it's in 3D. The fact that Sam Raimi's filming a movie in 3D that has me mildly interested, just because I like his style and I'd like to see what he'd be able to do with that format, given the fact that I'm going to be forced to see a movie in 3D anyway. So why why not? I guess. Uh, Abe. Your thoughts on the trailer? Yeah, nothing much more to add. Um, I, I I wasn't really actually really that interested in it um, from the trailer. I I don't know. I was gonna say the James Franco thing too, and I was actually hoping that James Franco would, would look a little bit more quote unquote interested in it. Um, one of the things I, I had a particular problem was with all the CG, like what Adam was saying. Um, particularly like just when he's shaking the hands of like one of the elves or whatever, and that reminded me of like Romeo and Juliet for some reason. Um, but yeah, you know, especially with the the little thing at the end there with the Wicked Witch of the West clawing at a table, I I wasn't really too thrilled. I definitely like the Sam Raimi name, but it reminded me a lot of the the color palette of Alice in Wonderland, which I you know I, I guess it's from the producer of. So I'm not super sold on it. I'll I'll say this about the CG just to defend it in some capacity. I mean, I like practical effects. I'm that's that's fine, and I mean that's. Good. I, I I would prefer them over CG. But that said, if like the Wizard of Oz was made today, it would be made the same way, right? I mean, it's not like they'd be. I know there's like Probably. there's there's certainly like yeah there's a timeless quality to how they did it back in 1939, and like there's there's obvious constraints in what they had to work with, and yeah there's there's certain nostalgia associated with the fact that you're seeing a movie done the old-fashioned way. But I mean it's it's not like this movie was going to be made in that that fashion right like I mean, there was never well, for sure but at the same time i mean i think I, I agree with you i understand what you're saying but at the same time i think with cg nowadays it you get the sense that it's used by hollywood or the motion picture gen industry in general as a crutch you know whereas people just before they used to try harder 
I feel. I mean, you look at something like Beasts of the Southern Wild, and you look at those Orok creature things, and you find out how they actually did it. They didn't use VFX, and they, you know, and that's amazing because, and they look great. And right. that is just for me as an example of they're, they're trying. They're not just relying on the easy way out. Oh, it's use a computer. But also, I mean, that comes down to I mean what they had to work with as well. Like, I'm not saying that if they had the, uh, you know, an infinite budget, like they automatically go to CG, but they did what they could but, I mean, with what they had. I'll be frank with you. I mean, when I was watching the film before I knew how they did it, I'm, I'm watching that film thinking, oh my God, these are some of the best visual effects I've ever seen. Just before I realized, before they explained how it actually worked, I just, I feel like it's a crutch and I wish that filmmakers would, would try a little harder to be more creative as opposed to just falling back. I, uh, mm. CGI in and of itself isn't a problem. It, the problem I have with it is when it takes the place of a good story or yeah. good characters. And I feel like sometimes they spend so much money and time and effort into you know the special effects, and they really don't even think about the script or, or even developing characters. And I think you look at like the original Wizard of Oz. I mean, that movie was all about characters and developing and, and music and that kind of stuff and it really wasn't about I mean there are special effects those monkeys were pretty creepy but it it really wasn't about the special effects it was about the story of this girl that you know whatever I still think that Wizard of Oz at that time was presenting the latest and greatest possible with special effects that they had at their disposal though I mean it's not like they didn't think about the special effects I guess that's it then so the Oz the great and powerful comes out March 8th of 2013 and I think that's the end of our trailer discussion. And that's going to lead us into our review for The Dark Knight Rises. You are as precious to me as you were to your own mother and father. I swore to them that I would protect you, and I haven't. The mayor's gonna dump him in the spring. Really? Mm-hmm. But he's a hero. A war hero. This is peacetime. You think this can last? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches. Because when it hits, you're all gonna wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. What does that mean? Rise. All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for The Dark Knight Rises. This is, of course, the third and supposedly final chapter of The Dark Knight Saga directed by Christopher Nolan, and it, of course, stars Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman. Um, the, that's his name, Bruce Wayne Batman. It's, it's a, it really reveals his identity pretty quickly, I guess. But, um, yeah, the film picks up eight years after the events of The Dark Knight, and um, having Batman take the fall for Harvey Dent, it is now forced Batman into retirement and Commissioner Gordon into holding on to basically a lie regarding the story involving Harvey Dent. And... Fortunately for Gotham, this has provided eight years of peace at, for the most part, there's probably crime going on, but nothing as heavy as the extent of the reign of the Joker or the mob that was, you know, taking over Gotham beforehand. But anyway, things kind of 
get awkward because Bruce Wayne, who's become a recluse in his own mansion, is kind of pulled out of retirement as the madman, mad masked man, not even mad, just the terrorist known as Bane, uh, begins to kind of take over Gotham in the ways that he has planned. Also, a cat burglar named Selina Kyle, played by Anne Hathaway, has also entered into the life of Bruce Wayne. And amongst other characters who make their presence known, Bruce Wayne, he comes back out as Batman and, well... <laughs> things things tend to get a little worse unless Batman can find some help and make things a little bit better for Gotham overall. But we'll see, and the fire will rise. But um, let's just get into it. Uh, Mark, what did you think of The Dark Knight Rises? I loved The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I love Christopher Nolan. And, you know, he you know Memento, Insomnia, The Prestige, Inception. Even even without the Batman trilogy, he's really an impressive director. And I think that what he does in The Dark Knight Rises is masterful. I mean, he takes a, a trilogy, he caps it in a way that is both artistic and crowd-pleasing. And, you know, The Dark Knight is considered by many to be maybe the greatest superhero film of all time. And it would have been a really daunting task to try to top it. And I don't think he does top it. I, I think, you know, that still is probably the high mark for me in the trilogy. However... I think he does equal that last episode in terms of spectacle and emotion. Um, I think that that's one of the things that I really appreciated about the film is that it has a real emotional component. And we can get into like some of the characters and stuff that bring out that emotion. But um, I think that's what makes a great film resonate, a superhero film, not the, the fantastic displays uh, that you see, which there are a lot in this film, and they're really amazing, but the emotional component that the characters bring and the struggle that uh, Bruce Wayne does throughout the film, I really got into it, and I really appreciated the way that he kind of finished the whole trilogy in a really nice way. So I, I liked it a lot. Adam? Um, like I said before, I mean, The Dark Knight Rises uh, was my number one film for 2012 in terms of anticipation um i mean we've had to wait four years for this movie and wait and wait and wait and wait um so as far as what i think um the dark knight rises is a tremendous disappointment and is one of the biggest disappointments in recent memory for me <laughs> i was really really bummed i think they're ironically some of the things i think the movie some of the things i thought the movie wouldn't get right it gets right, and there are other things in terms of characterization, in terms of plot, that it really gets wrong. Um, it has a really annoying way of presenting you as something really cool, and then just jerking it back and saying, just kidding. And I really found that annoying. Um, as far as characterization goes, I think Bane is a really big letdown, as far as what he should have been and could have been, versus what he actually is. Um, and I can't really get into a lot of details as far as Bane. I will say, however, I think he lacks conviction uh, in comparison to the other Batman villains from this uh, from this trilogy. Um, it just it, it just it kind of boggled my mind. I really thought that Christopher Nolan would be able to land this thing, and um, unfortunately, I don't think he did. Abe, uh, I thought that this was a very solid film. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I thought that in terms of being the third of a trilogy, it did a good job of reminding you where it came from and kind of delving into those plots uh, from Batman Begins. Um, 
a little bit more than Dark Knight. Um, in terms of how stiff and tense I was, I was stiff and tense in this one, but not as much so as in uh, the Dark Knight. But uh, I thought that, you know, I personally thought that Bane was... Um, He's an excellent character, and his storyline gets better as it goes, but I do see a letdown. I wasn't super keen on, on some of the females in, in the film, and that's... You, you were or you were not? I was not. Um, and, I, for example, like Catwoman, I, that's probably because I didn't get much of a backstory or of, about her training, so I didn't know how adept she was at, at fighting or her skills as a warrior, so I, I was kind of confused about that, but I mean... I can see that there are problems with this film, especially with, I guess, uh, some certain story arcs and I guess the, the, the com- uh, where characters are coming from, how they change throughout the film. But on the whole, I, I enjoyed it immensely. I, I thought that it was a terrific film and it, it, smooth, or it went by pretty smoothly. I didn't feel as though it was two hours and 45 minutes. It was a nice capper. I really agree with Mark and a lot of what he had to say, but I, yeah, I uh, really... The Dark the dark Knight, to, like... I love Batman. Batman is like, and the universe he exists in, like that's a big, <laughs> that's a that's a big part of just of me in general. I just, I'm just a big, huge Batman fan. So I was like, The Dark Knight was something that like made me happy in all sorts of ways because for me that film is just pretty close to perfection. And so obviously Dark Knight Rises coming out, and there's uh, there's a level of hype that goes with that. There's a level of anticipation, and I was really happy to go get into that and be, you know, on board of seeing The Dark Knight Rises and kind of, like, is no one going to be able to pull this off? And obviously, I, I, I couldn't expect it to pull up to be better than The Dark Knight for me. And it's not. That said, it's still a fantastic movie for me. Like, I, I felt like it just, it for everything that it needed to do, it did very well. I think its biggest issue is that it's 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 too big. It It's very ambitious, and it does a lot of it, it tries to do a lot of things and doesn't quite nail it all in the most coherent manner. I think there are some issues with the storyline and how it's a bit murky in its setup and where it, where it kind of where it kind of takes you during its second act before getting to its pretty sensational third act. I think I think the finale of this movie is just fantastic, including the grand conclusion to the whole storyline, which I think is very very fitting way to kind of end this trilogy. But um, yeah, overall, I really do li- I really do like this film a lot. I think I, I think a lot of the performances are very good in this movie in particular christian bale who was he was i mean he was he certainly he's batman so he was you know he's in dark knight of course and he's strong in that movie but he harvey dent was more the actual protagonist in the dark knight here you kind of put bruce wayne back into more into focus in this film and i think christian bale did a, i think he did his best work yet as the character in terms of what he had to go through and how he had to perform other characters are there's a lot of good other characters as well, but we can get into that later. But overall, yes, I really did like this movie. I thought it was a fine finale to what is essentially one of the best trilogies I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, that's my opinion. Let's go from there. Well, I'd like to start off with something I really did like, which um, surprised me, which was Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. I really had a lot of reservations about her as Catwoman because she's just not as... You wouldn't you don't think of Anne Hathaway as being as sexy as Catwoman ought to be, and I thought she was terrific in this movie, which surprised me. I really, really uh, liked her performance. I liked the character. It was cool. You know, she has this kind of murky motivation, but she pops in and helps Batman at key times. And then when you think you have a handle on her, you don't, and that's cool. Um, I dug that. I, I agree with you, actually, Adam. I but uh, I wouldn't say that I was kind of down on Anne Hathaway for casting, but I would say that I did I did really like her performance in the movie. 
Um, and I also, I want to give a shout out to my favorite performance in this film, which was Alfred, which was Michael. Yes. That guy, I mean, dude, I, it took me a while to warm to Michael Caine in general. After the last gentleman, Michael, I don't know how to say his last name. Goof. Goff. I don't know how to say it. Goff. Goff. Michael Goff. After him, I had a hard time adapting to Michael Caine as Alfred. Oh my gosh, he's he's wonderfully emotional. I didn't cry, but I was really moved at, at, right. at one, I, one key scene. So yeah. big shout out to Michael Caine. I totally agree with you, Adam. I think one of the things that makes but the whole film good is that the this uh, kind of balance. Christian ba- or uh, Bruce Wayne's personal conflict to kind of reconcile his desire to help his beloved city, but then also trying to live a normal life, and how that struggles played out through um, Michael Caine as Alfred, and he really highlights that struggle. And there is like a scene where they're talking, and it's real point. It's very poignant, and that's Dude, that's one give, of the things I love. To give the man an Oscar now. Okay, so let, I'm can just I, say let it. me just add on to this because I, I, as much as I like Michael Caine in this movie, and I, I would say he's MVP of the series for me in terms of who's consistently good throughout these entire these three movies. Like mm-hmm. Michael Caine, I would probably hand it to. That said, as much as I like what are essentially heartbreaking scenes that involve Alfred, I had issues with the fact that he was essentially playing the same character as the butler in Spider-Man 3 who had all the exposition he needed to say at the right time because Alfred seemed to know <laughs> exactly... Alfred, he needed to know. He had, he had every piece of information he needed to tell Bruce Wayne about Bane. He was very I, I informative. Like to, yeah, but that's good. Batman asked him to go research Bane. So he went to villains.com and found everything he needed to know about Bane. Well, he went to DC Wikipedia... <laughs> <laughs> this is a I, I, having seen all three films within I don't know like a week or so because I rewatched the other ones. You know. I mean that's something that's kind of consistent throughout the trilogy is Alfred suddenly pops up and he either will give the information that Batman needs or he'll tell us what we need to know or he'll tell Batman what he should really be thinking about as he do, deals with stuff. I mean it's kind of it was consistent. I, I, it's I, what, I disagree with that because he gives like he gives sage wisdom in the other films. He talks about things that. Yes, he talks about things that Batman needs to know or that the audience needs to. But he, he doesn't. He, he he gives very specific details about everything about Bane in this movie. Okay, okay. To, to get back to Abe's question. Um, <laughs> wh- <laughs> okay. Okay. Gosh. All right, Bane. I think Bane is possibly, arguably, the best Batman villain. Arguably, because when you look at him in the comic series, where he comes from, what he does. And what he means, I mean, he's amazing. And I'll, you, know, you can ask anybody who was in my office the day a couple years ago when it was announced we got Bane. I ran from room to room in my office telling anybody who would listen we got Bane. I was giddy. Um, unfortunately, with him, I think you know people have alluded to the fact that the mask makes it hard to understand, which is somewhat true. But I don't necessarily have a problem with that. No. Um, I had a problem with he didn't he didn't seem to work for me, and it wasn't until later that I got into I really realized why. Um, but I can't really get into that here. I'm, I would like to cover that tomorrow. Bane's a very interesting character in comic form. I wouldn't necessarily go to the length of saying he's my favorite Batman villain, but I do agree that he's a very interesting character. In this movie, I found it to be the least interesting of the main heavies that Batman has had to face in this fil- in the Nolan film series compared to well, the. Yeah, let's not even. I mean, we can't even compare him to Heath Ledger. That's like a performance that exists. But like, reg- you, regardless, I, I, you have to though. You, you have, have to. to. I mean, you, that's you cannot. You can. In terms this film of the does not exist. Universe. I mean, that's like me this, saying I can't compare this film to The Dark Knight. Like, this <laughs> film does not exist in a vacuum. I mean, this film is only possible because of what's come before it, and it's impossible to say. You know, you can't compare him to the, to the Joker just because, you, I mean... You can. It's just that I, I think that when you ask people who's your favorite villain, I think 90% are going to say the Joker, but... 
Or anyway, be, regardless, I would say, I mean, between the Joker, Scarecrow, Ra's al Ghul, and Harvey Dent, like, I mean, I, w- I would put Bane at the bottom of that list. Right. I do. Yeah. I did think Tom Hardy was quite good in the role. I think he's no. I did. You don't like that. You could have any. You could have any guy in muscles be that role. It doesn't have to be Tom. Yeah, Hardy. but the fact is, I did have Tom Hardy in that role, and I really liked his performance. I, I agree with Adam. I think that uh, Tom Hardy was good, but I, I have to say one thing though about his voice. I did have. A, I did still have a little bit of a hard time understanding some of his lines. Yeah. And I question whether he was actually. You say that the masks makes it hard for him to speak. He could have just sat in a sound in a in a sound booth and recorded that dialogue. I don't, I don't even think he needs to speak. I mean, I, I noticed a few times his throat muscles were like moving, so I, I'm assuming he was speaking. But he didn't even have to speak. I mean, that it's, could have. It's it's safe to say they probably recorded the majority of the dialogue. Yeah, it's probably ADR production. regardless. But I think it's just. I'm just saying it's crappy ADR. In some it's regard. kind of like I mean I mentioned this in my review, but it's it's kind of like uh, in Star Wars. I mean, David Prowse is an actor that played Darth Vader, and James Earl Jones is the one that's just vocalizing him. It almost felt like like oh Tom Hardy is playing the role, but there's some other actor that's vocalizing it. No, I, I agree, and I could I agree that I only heard about I'd say like 90 percent of it that was clear on, but then there was that like every now and then there was that occasional line where it's like right. I don't quite get what he said, but I guess I understand what's going on. But I right, think right. It, I think He's it comes bad guy. Yeah, I, yeah, thank you. I think it comes down to just. They wanted to, the, the way the sound mixing worked, and given the context of scenes and the score and everything happening in the background, it just didn't come out right. But I don't think he wanted to betray the sound of Bane for the sake of making sure every, which is not necessarily the best decision, but like making it completely clear de- deliberately so it's like very obvious as opposed to keeping it consistent with what the Bane character is supposed to sound like in this movie. I don't know how the scale works on that. I don't know. You know, it just, I will say too, I mean, there's a lot of things in this film that aren't really explained. I mean, Batman's walking around with a cane, he's got this big limp, and you're like, great, what the hell happened to you? But they, they never actually tell us what exactly happened. I think happened. it comes down to his fall that he suffered at the end of the dark night. Yeah, the fact I was that he just, too, like... he just stopped working out, he stopped doing anything, he became a recluse, and because of that, all the scar tissue and various injuries he's had just kind of collected over time and let him yeah. become and, decrepit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And he, he says that in the film, too. He's just like, you know, we won. That's why Batman's not here anymore. I, in my written review, said that this film was this trilogy's Godfather 3. Um, I think that when you look at the first film, you have a very specific feel of what Gotham City is. And I really like what Matt Atchity of Rotten Tomatoes said on What the Flick. He had a really good good point. It's an amalgamation of a bunch of different cities. So you get this, this really specific feel. And then when you end up in Dark Knight, it's very clearly like you're in Chicago. You still get, it's the same city, but you're in Chicago. But then all of a sudden, in Dark Knight Rises, you're in New York. And it's it, it doesn't feel like the same city at all. Um, not only that, too, but it towards like the climax of the film. The climax of the film takes place major, the majority of the time in the daylight. Well, the vast majority of the films take place at night. And the film where Batman is out takes place at night because, newsflash, Batman works at night. And look, when you've got a guy running around in a bat suit at 2 o'clock in the afternoon... I mean, it's just it doesn't work as well for me. It, it looks kind of it looks kind of foolish, and there are a lot of a lot of logical inconsistencies. I mean, Batman has um, a bit of a trip, if you will, and I, that doesn't make sense that he would suddenly know this information through a vision. I mean, I thought that was dumb. And then there there are other physical impossible physical impossibility physically impossible things that happen that it just. And I, I, I hate the ending, guys. I hate the ending. I think the ending sucks. 
I love no. the ending, and no. then I hated the ending. Uh, about about your point about fighting in in the daytime versus night, I think that that one was okay because the city is under martial law. I think there's a there's through. a there's a circumstance involved in that, and I, yeah. now I would agree I would agree with you that this is certainly the most comic booky of the three movies in terms of you know a guy in a bat suit amongst other people in various costumes fighting each other, but yeah. I think they're. I think the circumstances dictate the necessity of fighting at a certain time of you know, day in this film. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. The circumstances are only the circumstances they are because of Christopher and Jonathan Nolan's script. They could have written it any way they wanted. They could have said it any time they wanted. And obviously they chose to do that, and that's that, That's their deal. I'm just saying Batman is – there's an inherent level of silliness that kind of comes with the character just because it's a guy dressed up as a bat. Now, in the first two films, you really kind of get past that. Just because they they tell you why he's doing it, you, you understand his reasons for doing stuff, and it's really cool and it works. But in this particular instance, I felt that it didn't work. I mean, look, take for example the visual impact of a scene involving a flare. If you'll take my meaning, yes. there's a scene yeah. with a with a flare, and I I almost had goosebumps. You know, it's this night scene, something really incredible happens, and it's just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Love that. And then you take, you know, Batman on the steps of, uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure if he was city in the, hall. the city hall, the prison, wherever he was, and he's fighting with Bane at that point. It, it doesn't have the same visual impact, as far as I'm concerned. It there's a bunch. It looks, it looks silly, from my perspective. See, I'll actually argue that some of those daytime scenes actually make the action seem more real. That like. In sort of the way that, like, Superman, like, when things are happening, like, here are the people. There's a, I mean, this isn't a trailer, but there's a scene at the football stadium, which there's, like, an explosion and all this. And you see the faces of all the people, and then Bane comes on and starts to address them, and it's daylight, and everyone is watching him. That felt like I really liked that scene, and I actually appreciated the fact that it happened in the daylight, because it was like, this is something that could actually happen in real life. I mean, it is a little bit, it's obviously a fantasy, but I actually appreciated that, and sometimes I think when everything is filmed at night, and it's, you know, it, it's it, it's so dark and everything, it feels almost like a cartoon. Here, it actually, I gave it a little bit more of a of a in-your-face realness to it. I, I actually appreciated that at, part. At the same time, I also appreciate the being at set at daytime, regardless of being, but setting it at daytime, having the visual, what I identify with that visual of having Batman basically facing off against Bane during the daytime, amongst everything else that's going on at that time, it, it, I think it helped, it aided the film in providing kind of a grand scope for what's going on in this epic final chapter of the trilogy. Right. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, Adam, and and basically we just have to agree to disagree on this point because you clearly did not buy into what this visual aesthetic of Batman be fighting during the daytime, and I did. Well, there's more to it, too. I mean, when you look at the fact that for the first time you Gotham is sort of seen as, as being a part of the United States as a whole, and you have the, the fake president, you know, press conference and all that. I hate that stuff in general, just when they bring in fake presidents and, and do, oh, my God, and you know, all this very artificial stuff. I didn't, I, that was something that really bothered me as well. And again, I, I wish that we were on our spoiler podcast, but there are just certain elements to Bane's plot that I didn't. There, there, there. They don't yeah, seem to. They I, don't I seem to do, work. And then yeah, I when I found out, what, that. then I found out why they didn't work. And I mean, look, there's some really cool imagery that's very Tale of Two Cities-esque as far as French Revolution stuff, and I like some of that. 
but I almost feel like some of that stuff didn't go far enough. And I know they were going for PG-13 here. I understand that they have a limit to what they can do. But I think if you look at something like The Dark Knight, and you have the scene, for example, where um, uh, the Joker burns all the blood money, the one thing that you don't really think about until you actually, it kind of dawns on you, is that uh, Mr. Lau is sitting on top of that heap. Right. And so when he he throws that thing, like you forget Lau's there because he, you know, the the framing is different. You don't see the top of the heap. You don't realize that Mr. Lau is being burned to death. And I think for me, when I when that clicked, it was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is far more intense than I'd ever realized. Whereas with the French Revolution subtext, I mean, it just uh, it assumes that all of a sudden these people, when faced with this terrible evil, would just suddenly become savages to some degree. And that was something that was disproved in The Dark Knight, as far as people of Gotham go, with the whole uh, bit with the two ferry boats. And it just it makes this grand leap that, oh my gosh, you know we're all savages underneath, he's going to reduce us to savagery. And I just, I didn't really buy it. I would have bought it more if it had been perhaps more violent. I, I, I just did, that part didn't put the word for me. And again, tomorrow I look forward to getting into a little more detail. French, French Revolution slash Occupy Gotham. Uh, what, I would, yeah. what I would add to that is I agree with you to an extent of I didn't. I would have liked to see more of the the effects that were caused based on what Bane does in this film. Um, that I would have liked to see some of that, and I I, under, I understand the logic where you're coming, but it's very. I mean, I'm, just, I'm also trying to tiptoe around certain plot topics, but yeah, that I would say that did bug me, as did Bane's. The logic of Bane's plan, ha- I had issues with. <laughs> But there are – I don't think I'm going – giving too much away. When you're talking about the way they're taking over the city and they're going into the hotels and they have the rich people and they're dragging them out into the streets and stuff, I thought that was brilliant. I mean I just felt like, oh my god, that actually looks like something that could actually happen in real life in the in the kind of martial law and taking over a city. And I found that very visceral. I, I, I thought that was really well done. Now, see, that I, 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 I agree with that, but it kind of, it kind of cuts that short by showing – the, the beginnings of that stuff, but not really. But, right, right. But not really. I, I realize they, they, you're right. They don't go into depth, and they could have shown more. But I mean, we've yeah. almost got a three-hour movie here. Now, it, so it's, uh, that's where I come out. You know, with the, well, then with, why with, don't why with, don't we cut out some of the stuff? That's with, what I, uh, that's what I'm saying. With, Adam. with Blake, let's take Blake and cut him down. Adam, that's what that's kind of what I'm saying. There's a, there's there's a lot of filler, I think, in the second act, and I think there could have been better time spent doing dealing with other things, such as what's going on with Gotham being taken over by Bane. I don't find Blake to be that particularly compelling of a character and he's almost he, he you know he should have major you know he's one of the major protagonists of the film and he gets all this stuff to do and I understand kind of what he's doing but at the same time it just that's a lot of that I felt could have been pared down. You know something Adam that you brought up that I found very interesting is also just the uh, comparison of what happens at the end of The Dark Knight versus uh, how the city responds in The Dark Knight Rises which I hadn't thought about before and um now that you bring it up, I mean, there is that aspect which I guess we can always delve into more, um, not as us as podcasters, but as you know, a director or what have you. So I guess there could have been some paring down of some characters and it's more thought about how the city has uh, I, I will know, agree with you. That I, actually, I liked Blake a lot. I did too. I, know, I agree. I know you did too, Aaron. So, I mean, I, they could have probably cut his character a little bit, but I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt was very good. But right. one thing, I, I don't know when mentioned this yet, but that Bruce Wayne's business adversary, that John Daggett, that character did not need to exist. I mean, he's basically sort of, he's introduced 
first, and then he's utilizing Bane. And you know then... what's cool about that is actually uh, I don't know that I, Aaron, you've seen it a second time. It, when you see it a second time, it it kind of plays a little bit better. But I, I, I would say, that, well, that stuff. I would say that stuff plays better just because the first time, like, okay, I need to stop and say what's going on because that's that's right, a lot, that's exactly. a lot of my issue with the film. The second time, sure, it's clear just because I know it's going to happen. But yes, yeah. I guess it does play better. I think too with, with Daggett. I mean, it's one of those things where they were, they made no bones about it from the very beginning. Oh, he's a bad guy, and he's corrupt. And I, and I kind of like it. I mean, even when you know you're watching a film like say Batman Begins or whatever. Or, or particularly, let's say, like, The Dark Knight, when they reveal that certain cops were traitors and whatnot. I like it when you kind of string me along, even if I kind of know this is going to be the villain. I like mm-hmm. it when it's kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I know this is probably going to be the villain, but everybody thinks that this person's cool. Well, this one, I was like, okay, look, he's smarmy, he's scum, he's the bad guy. And I just, it just seemed a little bit hackney. Right, but I would argue that that John Daggett character didn't even really need to exist. And I'm with you. I'm with and you. And I think we could have. And, yeah, and they even they gave that John Gar- uh, Daggett character an assistant. Yes. Which yes. didn't need to exist either. And they even a creepy kind of assistant. Yes. And they even look kind of alike. <laughs> that was that was see that Mark that was my issue. You reminded me of uh, the dude in Casino Royale. I agree with that. Yes. Mark, that was my issue. I like they were too similar looking, so I was kind. Of, that's why I needed to be like, wait, it's okay. So who's trying to be? Who wants Wayne Enterprises in this situation? What's which one is Selena Kyle working for? I don't understand. So like, right, right. So I I would. I agree with you that, and, and, and in general, there were a lot of characters in this film. So if you're looking to cut some, I would I would have cut those. I would have cut those characters just because I think the main characters in this film, I like all of them. I like the roles that they. I mean, I mean, by main characters, I mean besides the core, you know, Gordon and Alfred and what have you. I mean, I like Blake, and I like. I, I wish I wish there was more for Marion Cotillard to do in this film as well because I, I think there, there are certain things that happen with Cotillard and and Wayne. That if they'd set it up a little bit better, it would have really worked. Because I, I love Cotillard. Let's just let's. So I, we can make no buts about this. Obviously, Bruce Wayne has two female int- love interests in this movie, and what I think both of them could have been handled better in terms of the the romantic nature of the relationships they have. But I think the one with Marianne Cotillard is very clunkily handled. I yeah, I, I I didn't like his love relationship with uh, with what's her name, um, Mary. What, what's what's Miranda her character? Tate. Miranda yeah, Miranda Tate. Tate. I didn't. I didn't like his relationship. And there's even, well, the, you know, there, there's a scene, and it's very awkward, like just stuck in there, like, oh, okay, they're really, my, they're, my they're very close. Really, my friend had a really yeah. great way of describing it, and but it was like she said, it was like, so yeah, so we're all wet and we're really close. Let's have sex. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like. It reminded me of that scene in Superman 2 where Superman becomes a human and he's sitting there in the bed with Lois Lane. I just hate that scene. I don't know. It just it just seems to be kind of like stuck in there like, oh, we just have to show that these two just did it. And it's yeah. like you look you look at Bruce Wayne. He's such a he's such an intelligent but guy. I don't want to know my superheroes are doing it. It's just like they're <laughs> fighting unless, for Unless truth. there's something like where you know that like Bruce and maybe Rachel or something – you know, it's one of those things where, like, Bruce is such an intelligent guy. He, he he's smarter than that. Come he's on. a billionaire playboy. No, but uh, but I think that scene actually has uh, you know more meaning to it just very quickly as well. Um, I think from a thematic and, standpoint, sure, and from a character standpoint, yes. But I think how it's executed has issues. He swims in hotel like lobby pools with these chicks. He doesn't actually like them. Agreed, yeah. But I mean, you know, there's like the significance about that scene, which I think is just very fleeting. Um, uh, and it kind of, for me, it was kind of a, a, a tell a little bit um, for later things to come. 
So, I, you know, it was poorly executed. I don't know about poorly executed. It was awkward, but I think that it had uh, a very small point to serve. Let's get to some good stuff. Uh, we all saw this movie in IMAX, correct? Yeah, uh, I did. Yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> this movie looks amazing in IMAX. I mean, this is the... I. I I was telling people that hadn't seen the movie, and because it sold out, and I, it was sold out for the weekend in IMAX. Like, if I had the choice between seeing the movie in IMAX versus going just so I can get it on the opening weekend, I, I'd wait till IMAX because the, the, there's, I mean, it makes a difference. Over, yeah, it does. Over over an hour of this footage in this movie is shot with the IMAX cameras, and the it way it's seventy-two minutes, yes, I think, I believe so, and like. The way it's utilized here, it never feels like awkward. It feels like every scene, every scene that utilizes this format, just I mean, beyond the fact that yeah, it looks just ginormous. It just it just works. It just it uses it in transition sequences to show the various cities and what have you that they're going to. It, it works in the the action sequences. It, it just it just provides this this extra added level of what, scope. Was that was that opening prologue with on the CIA airplane? Was that filmed in IMAX? Yes, it was. Because that was yeah. that was a stunner. I mean, that like I love that opening prologue. Really? I do. I, did, I, I thought it was a letdown compared to like what I thought it was going to be from the trailer. No, no. I, well, like, I, when I compared I, it to like the prologue for like say the Dark Knight, I thought that prologue was was really well done. Whereas this one was just kind of I don't know. Maybe not, maybe clunky is not the right word. It just well, I mean, I think I the, in the Dark Knight prologue, which features obviously the, the bank, the bank heist with the Joker, I think that's a that it's very clear exactly what that is. It's a very, it's almost, it's practically a short film for that film, and I think this one, this one very, it kind of, I mean, it both like relies on, I don't, I, well, it doesn't necessarily rely on prior knowledge of the films. It doesn't really, but it, it starts off the film with presenting you with something that, that will need to be cleared up later, as opposed to providing you with like a, an individual standalone scene that shows you why this Bane character is a threat. You understand that Bane is a threat just because he's a towering figure or what have you, but the context of the scene is not really established until later on, as opposed to the bank heist in the dark. I, I actually liked, and, and a lot of times I don't like this, but in this case, I liked how ambiguous it was. I mean, there's a scene where there's tubes and tubes, and then the tubes have blood going through it, and I'm like, what is going on? What is the blood for? And Later on, you find out, oh, that's what they're doing. And so you don't understand what's going on when you watch the scene. But I, I liked it. I mean, I, I just thought, and it was, it was, the way it was filmed was pretty interesting. And then the parachutes and the way the plane dropped out and just yeah. the way it was executed. It, it was a cool idea. I just didn't like I, I loved it. I think it worked as well. But speaking about the IMAX thing again, I mean, there's beautiful shots of just like uh, Pittsburgh, um, just at nighttime. <laughs> Pittsburgh. Or, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> of <Gotham>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Of, of Gotham at uh, at uh, dusk, and it, it's it's really stunning to see on IMAX. And I've seen it again. I've seen it in IMAX, and I saw it in a, just like a regular like twenty foot theater. And um, yeah, there's a, a huge difference. I have a question. So when it goes, and maybe this is a dumb one, but when it goes from IMAX to a regular screen, what do they do? Do they cut the top off, or how do they make the IMAX fit a normal screen? Like, where do they do with all that extra? They hide it away, but no, I don't know. But <laughs> there's a the other thing I will say is also I after seeing it twice, I actually understood Bane a lot better in a regular theater than I did in the IMAX theater, which I found to be really strange. Um, so I, I don't know if you did you get did you get that sense too, Aaron? I only see it in IMAX. Oh, you saw it both in IMAX. Oh, okay, okay. I um yeah. when I when I saw the Dark Knight, the the, the Dark Knight. Um, I saw it in IMAX, and then we saw it again like seven hours later in a regular theater. And I realized this isn't for me. So then I say every other time I see The Dark Knight, I saw it in IMAX. Besides the, and I've only watched it at home like twice 
in full. <laughs> like I, I don't watch The Dark Knight in TV very often. So. How many times did you see it in theaters? I saw it seven times in theaters. Wow. <laughs> all IMAX except for one? All IMAX except for one. Wow. That, Man, that it's a wonder you have any money. I saw it. I saw it because I, I saw it when it was like re-released in like that January or whatever before like the Oscar season kicked off. Yeah, it's just like, well, why would yeah. I want to see this again in IMAX? It just, it, it's like, it's because I'm not going to see this movie again in the format that it's made in. Like, it's not like I'm going to have an IMAX at home that I can watch. It. So I just right. wanted to utilize that experience as much, take advantage of that experience as much as possible. That's kind of my. Can I give a shout out to my my favorite scene and see maybe if it's your favorite scene too, guys? Sure. Probably not. There's a there's an awesome scene, like the first scene where um, Batman arrives. Like, returns. The first it's the first time where he puts on the suit and like goes back out, and it's this beautiful. He's on like the bat pod, and it's the way it's photographed. There's like a parking garage involved, mm-hmm. and it's photographed so well. And then you end up with this beautiful helicopter shot of all of these other vehicles chasing him. Right. Oh my gosh. Such a well done, well put together scene with the way the lights sort of that, go. That off. looks great on IMAX. So yeah. great. <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, Wally Pfister's cinematography in this film is beautiful. Like, there's so many amazing shots in this film. I mean, they, there's sequences that involve the the place of Bane's origin, and I really love the look of that. Just the, this 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 real you. There's this real location utilized, which is I mean, it's seen in the trailers. I'm, I'm just gonna hint. At Fresh it. out of uh, the fall, almost. Pr- pretty much. I mean, that's that's really what that's what it reminded me of. That's one of my movie callbacks, the fall, because of just kind of the locate the use of location and the way it's filmed and just the way light works in those scenes. Like, it's just I I really enjoyed that a lot. And yeah, I also enjoy just the, yeah scenes like helicopter shots of the bat pod riding out and being chased oh. by other people and just like just seeing seeing things like of course the the tumblers and i'm not giving it the bat in use on imax right. like it's just yeah. it's just just a there's, a there's a great scope involved and it's very fully realized i think with the cinematography with the with nolan's direction in terms of the scope that this movie is trying to get across i love oh. when nolan throws in like the bat computer at the end of like the dark knight but you don't. He never calls the, the bat computer. And in this case, we have the bat plane essentially, but he doesn't call it that. We have Catwoman, but he doesn't call her Catwoman. He's throwing all these different little references to Batman stuff. But it's like we have the Batmobile. We never call it the Batmobile, but yeah. we all know. And I, I like the way that he's throwing these things in there without, you know, going all campy and saying, "No, everybody, this is the Batmobile." And I, I like. I, I like that. Catwoman's, I, I Cat, wanna, Catwoman, sorry, I just said Catwoman's. I want to talk about Catwoman. Okay, let's talk about Catwoman. I, let me just, yeah. let me just start off by saying I love Catwoman's look in this, I, well, there's a very particular asset on IMAX that looks amazing of Catwoman's, but, um. <laughs> is it a double or a single? It's piece? a single. The, uh, but the, uh, <laughs> I said the word, but, uh, I, I, I so love confused. the, uh, the way her, cause that's straight out of some of the, one of the, a certain version of her in the comics where she lifts her visor up and it makes the ears on her costume. Like, it's just like, it's not, she's not dressed as a cat. It's just, that's kind of, there's a look inherited by, based on the, the equipment that she uses. And I, I really yeah. enjoyed how that functioned. Yeah. I, the fact that they never refer to her as Catwoman or that she doesn't have a suit that looks like what we've come to expect. wasn't my favorite. I mean, I actually would have probably like them to just say call her Catwoman and have it but Why? that's how, fine how, how would that have added to your experience of the film I just wouldn't that have kind of clunky and campy based on yeah based on the reality that Nolan has set up in this universe do you, you think that would have worked better 
I, I mean, they they called the guy the Joker. They called him Bane. I mean, I. Well, I mean, it's, Bane, it was, Bane, it's a small. Bane's not really. But, a, Bane's just a name. Like that's not like that's not something. That's name. But that was because like those guys didn't have any well, other name that, outside of this. Where she's funny. Selena Kyle. Aside and aside from Joker, I mean, whose only name is Joker. I mean, pe- people they're not called. He's not called Scarecrow, and he's not called Two Face. Or they even they even call uh, they, Bruce Wayne. They call him the Batman a lot of times. Uh, yeah, in the yeah, comics, yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah, always Batman, yeah. but they, they always call it the often right, the call Batman. the Batman. No, no, which, I mean I, I think it fits within Christopher Nolan's universe and the way he set it up. So I mean it's fine, and it's, it didn't really take away. But I mean, for example. Catwoman, the perfect Catwoman was Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she was great, and I do think Michelle trumps Anne Hathaway's portrayal. However, with that said, I do think that Anne Hathaway was amazing. I think she was great. One of the reasons, though, why she was so amazing is because she's given every great line in the film. I mean, she has one witty line after another, and she delivers them brilliantly. So, I mean, I give her credit. But, I mean, you know, they, they talk about, and this is in the trailer, but they say, like, oh, you've done a lot of bad things. And then she says, well, girls got to eat. And, you know, there's one part where, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is telling her, well, we can provide you protection. And she does this eye roll yeah, that, like, the whole, yeah, the whole theater, like, laughed. I mean, she brings a lot to the portrayal. So, I, I mean, I give her credit. She, she did a great job. We've made some mistakes, Miss Kyle. Girls got to eat. And you have an appetite. Why would you run? Can't hide from us with a record like this. Maybe it's not you I'm running from. Who then? Bane? What do you know about him? That you should be as afraid of him as I am. We can offer you protection. Okay. When I spotted you, I was looking for a friend of mine. Bruce Wayne. But does she match what I've seen in the past? No. I, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is still Catwoman to me. But she was good. I I mean, because they're just they're so different. The universes are so different in terms of representation of Catwoman. But I I would probably lean towards Anne Hathaway because I just really liked her performance in this movie. I love the just the introduction of her in Wayne Manor and how she's how she goes from the, the character she's pretending to be and how right. the look on her face changes to who she really is. And I think... Even, even though, like, her tone of voice changes. In yeah, it's... I, I, and it's actually really creepy. And it was that... I, I love the bit where she, she suddenly has to start screaming about something. Right, there's, right, there's, right. There's, And it really uh, works. She, she utilizes what she has as as a woman to kind of get to... kind of gain the upper hand in various situations. And it's... I, I really enjoyed all of the, those aspects about how they designed the character of Catwoman and how Anne Hathaway pulled it off. And I disagree with Abe because I think I didn't have a problem with not like necessarily learning like intense details about her backstory. I was given just enough information. <laughs> one of uh, one of our friend of the show is Matt Dunbar. I watched the film with him, and he was like, "One of my predictions for the movie is Alfred just shoots Anne Hathaway in the face." This is really odd because he's not a huge fan of Anne Hathaway. I mean, I thought she was serviceable in the film. I I I, I kind of tend to side more with Mark. I really like Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and I know that they're two different universes, but it's just, um, I don't know, something about that that performance and I guess that style, that look is... uh, I mean, her... I mean, this is maybe also because I saw Batman Returns when I was much, much younger, but I just feel like that suit and the... I mean, maybe it's because... you know, I mean, people today may go back to that film and say, oh, I didn't really 
think she was all that great. And so maybe it was because I saw it first. But I, I like Michelle Pfeiffer better. But I, I did think Anne Hathaway was amazing. I mean, I think she's one of the best things in the film. So I don't want to take anything away from her performance because I, I really loved it. That's understood. And I, I think it comes down to I just I like this the way Selena Kyle functions in this universe makes sense to be based on my appreciation for the comic iterations of Batman where Catwoman her allegiances, her allegiances shift as opposed to being an, yeah. an all-out, over-the-top villain as she is a Batman Returns. And when you when you look at the the promos for the film and you read up, it looked like, oh, Batman has a sidekick and it's Catwoman in this movie. And you kind of look at it. I like, didn't feel Wait that. a minute. I, didn't well, I mean, that was kind of the vibe I got because like the first promo image they had was her on the Bat Pod, and you're like, well, why is she riding the Bat Pod? I didn't. I didn't that and, didn't make me assume that he was she was sidekick to Batman. Well, from the from the trailers that I saw, and just that was the impression that I got, and so I really liked the fact that. You know, she does help out here and there and do stuff, but her, like you said, her alliances shift, and she she's a hard character to get a read on, and I like that. Because I did, let me just say, I, the impression that I got was that she was going to be much more of a one-note character than she was. Okay, that's understandable. Okay, yeah. There's not a lot of Batman in this movie. <laughs> that's that. true. <laughs> I think it was like 40 minutes, I think I, I kept track, and it was like 40 minutes until we actually see Batman. It's a, it takes a while for me to see Batman, and the number of scenes that feature Bruce Wayne in the cape and cowl are not many. I, right. He's certainly featured in the finale of this film. <laughs> but, just a little bit, just a little bit. And that kind of, I mean, I get that if you really want to go into it, that kind of aligns with the series as a whole. Ah, Dark Knight, there's a lot of Batman in there, but Batman Begins, I mean, well, I mean, well I'll, I'll keep it to this film. There's not a lot of Batman in this movie <laughs> compared <laughs> to how much there could have been, I guess. We. But, you know, I was I was reading, a, I was watching a review online on, on YouTube, and someone had a really interesting point, which was that it's really a testament to what Christopher Nolan has made possible for himself with these films. And that you, you know, as opposed to having a studio exec looking over his shoulder and saying, you know, I want Batman in on page 20 and I need this and I need to appeal to this. He, they, he, Christopher Nolan really had the freedom to tell the story the way he wanted to tell it. And, you know, that allowed him to take his time and not rush. And, I, and that's something that, that, you know, like this gentleman was saying that I was watching. I mean, that really didn't quite exist with superhero films before, you know, this trilogy. I would kind of disagree with that just because I think the pro- one of the problems with the past iterations of Batman is that Batman wasn't the focus at all. I mean, the joke is uh, Jack Nicholson was the focus of the, of the first Batman film. The Penguin and Catwoman were larger focuses of the of Batman Returns than Batman was. Batman Forever did, which is something that me and Scott, Scott Mendelson and I heavily talked about, is the was essentially the first film that really focused on the character of Bruce Wayne. Then you get back to Batman and Robin, where it's all about ridiculous Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy jokes. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! Bat, bat, I, I, <laughs> but in each one of those films, I mean, you get Batman within, like, the first ten minutes. You get him, but, I mean, the the, you, the focus of the films is not on Batman in the in that prior trilogy, in that prior series of films, for the most part. I think those kind of, like, criticisms are the kind of thing that you notice after you've seen the film. I, I just have to say, emotionally, when I was watching the film, I wasn't looking to say, oh, how many, how many minutes is he dressed as a Batman or when is he going to appear? I just watched the film and I was entertained and I didn't, at the end you might think, Oh, he actually didn't, there really wasn't that much Batman, but I didn't notice that. I, I, when I was watching the film, I was enthralled and I loved it. And yeah. you know, maybe at, at the end you can say, well, there was only 23 minutes. You know, here's an example. When, uh, what's it in the, the original wizard of Oz, the witch appears on screen seven minutes total in the whole fricking film. And you don't even know that because she's so iconic. You think you think she's appearing 
much more than that. And that's how I felt about Batman. I feel like he he seemed like he was he to me it seemed like he was in it a lot. And then when you tell me oh he wasn't in it that much, I'm like, "Oh, well maybe you're right." But I didn't care. I just I was into the story enough that it didn't matter. No, but I was into the story of I was into the story of uh, of Bruce Wayne, you know, his struggle to to figure all this stuff out about why this is happening to him or I guess also the struggle of Gotham itself of what's going on with Gotham, how is Gotham dealing with it? Um, and oh, that right, you brought up those other films. I think not to not to say that I want Batman in every scene, but in Predator, you don't actually see Predator. You see him a few <laughs> times, and then like at the end is like this full-on assault, and that was pretty amazing. Um, so for Dark Knight Rises, I didn't so much mind that I didn't see Batman all the time. I, I was pretty engrossed with the film, and I was pretty engrossed with the performances that these actors were giving um, out of con- out of their suits. Um, but when Batman did show up, yeah, of course, you know, I was I was happy, I was excited, uh, but it wasn't so much something that I was. Um, I know that you guys weren't disappointed in, in not seeing Batman more. It was just more, you know, I wasn't really too. I didn't need to see him on the screen all the time. I'm agreeing with you that uh, yes, I was enthralled with the story enough where it wasn't like a major issue for me. But for me, it did seem very noticeable that there was not a lot of Batman in this movie by the time the film had ended. It wasn't something I thought about after the fact. Wait, was it less than the other two? Was there less Batman? I don't know, honestly. Right. I mean, but just in terms of me, my, the, the the way I'm watching this film and like what I'm getting out of it, I it seemed noticeable to me that there was not as that there's not there was not that much Batman in it. Then you brought up a good point, Aaron. That a lot of times it is the villains that seem to be the focus of these films. And maybe that's not bad. I mean, it is called Batman, but maybe sometimes the villains are kind of the fun part. So it, I, mean, I mean, it just depends on how the film handles things as a whole. And right, right. What what the story is and all that. Well, uh, so much for ever watching Wizard of Oz again without a stopwatch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have not talked about Gary Oldman yet, and I love Gary Oldman, and I love the character of the character of Jim Gordon, is my favorite character in the Batman in the good guy side of the Batman universe. Um, I would not necessarily say that he's like he gets something as significant as like a speech that Michael Caine has, but he does have some of my favorite scenes in this movie, and I do think Gary Oldman is very solid in this film as a whole. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, he's got he's got some great cues, especially like when he's speaking with Blake in the apartment after the hospital scene, and he's telling him about I hope that you have a friend one day. I was actually like, whoa, this is like I'll say a. Uh, a moment where I was thinking to myself, man, this is there's a yeah, that's a strong scene. there's a, that's a strong there's this very there's a scene towards the towards the, <laughs> there's there's a particular scene that I really enjoyed involving Gary Oldman that's maybe my favorite scene of the movie, uh, but <laughs> is it one in the is it a scene in the hospital? No, uh, no I'm so tiptoeing around it, so I just have to yeah, I uh, I think Gary Oldman's quite solid in this movie. I I will say this, I was incredibly worried about the safety of Gary Oldman at one point during this film, and I was not sure what was going to happen involving him, and I was going to be crying <laughs> if, if, if certain things transpired the way they did. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, the side characters, I just want to echo, again, Adam's sentiments on Alfred, and I definitely loved Alfred in this movie. He's just, even though he's, like, weeping in every scene that he's in, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's just, he's he's got a lot of... Uh... He was doing the broken voice. And you don't do the broken voice, but it gets very emotional. But he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 16. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. Yes. 
I'm Mark Cocaine. Mark Cocaine. Oh, he, he brings the emotion. I thought he was... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he, he's... He's this film's heart, easily. Yeah, he's like a grounding character. And it kind of is sad when he has these dialogues with Bruce Wayne about, like, Bruce, I mean... Like you did what you had to do. Your body is all washed up. I don't want you to. I don't want you to die. You know, and it's it's very sad. And you know, there's a there's a tender moment later on in the film, and that kind of just was man. I was it was getting foggy in the in the theater. You couldn't see the screen. It was getting foggy. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't see the screen. <laughs> okay. just like, I could wow. see the screen, but I I am with you. It was incredibly moving. Yeah, I was just. I was really. Morgan Freeman's that's, also. Well, that's again. That's, a, that's another tri- tribute to again to the Nolan Batman universe. I mean, it's a universe where you really care about these characters. And in the other Batman films, I mean, you, there's not that level of empathy. I think. With well, the that's characters. not to say I didn't. I didn't want Alfred to be saved in Batman and Robin. But well, no. absolutely. But, but I just mean with, with these, the the characters are much more three dimensional in Nolan's yeah. Batman, and you really feel for them, and you build a relationship with them, and it just it feels more real. The stakes feel more real. You didn't feel the added dimension of the original Bane in Batman and Robin. <laughs> wow, what a guy. Um, Mor- Morgan Freeman's always very reliable as well. And he he, he, he actually gets he gets in on some action in this movie <laughs> in a way. But um, I, I always like his presence in these movies. It's, it's nice seeing Lucius hanging around. I also like his stances, how he's he's loyal to, to Wayne uh, Industries and also Bruce Wayne himself. I mean, there's like a scene where, where you know, Bane asks him to turn something on and he's like, I'm not going to do it. And obviously, someone has to coerce him to do it, but it's just. See, I did. I, that, I loved film. it when he's like, I'm not going to do it. And like, maybe they're going to shoot him, but I'll totally respect him if they shoot him because he sets his principles. And then they're like, we'll do this. And he's like, okay. It's like, no, 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 no. Fox wouldn't do that. He would have died before doing it. I don't know. Given the circumstances presented to him and how. And also, who else is there in the scene? Anything else? What did you guys think of the score? Um, I. Oh. I, I like the score quite a bit. I mean, I like Hans Zimmer's work on this trilogy in general, and this is this time he sands James Newton Howard. And I, w- yeah. I would say that I, be- I like the Dark Knight score overall among the, the between the three mm-hmm. of them, but I do like the fact that there is a distinctness between each of the scores, and I found that to, to be the case once again in this in the Dark Knight Rises score. I, I would say that I miss James Newton Howard in the score in the Dark Knight Rises, but I, I could tell that Hans Zimmer was there, but there's, there's something about uh, using synthesized stuff... Um, I think James Newton Howard's a little bit more. He actually has like a small orchestra or whatever else. When when Hans Zimmer tends to work with other people, it tends to kind of bring out the best in him. Sometimes, like I think of his work with Lisa Gerard in Gladiator. I mean, that's an okay. amazing score. Score. I thought the score was pretty good. I mean, I think it was almost like the score was on blast for like the whole two hours and forty four minutes and. And then a lot of times I thought the score kind of was dictating the drama, even when it wasn't like being shown on the screen. So I thought it was effective. I yeah. So it was just interesting because when I've listened to other people's, you know, talking about the film and their critiques or whatever, a lot of some people have really mentioned the fact that they found the score to be overbearing and just too bombastic, which well, it, wasn't something that I necessarily. It didn't really hit me when I was watching it. I did think it apes a lot of the Inception style score right. that he used for Inception. It which didn't really bother me as much, but. You know, and there were aspects to the score where there he's he's recycling elements from the Dark Knight, isn't he? Well, because well, no, he's there's, just, I mean, there's the there's the th- same themes that have been running throughout the entire series. Which is an right. awesome theme, by the way. It's when, a, he, when Batman comes like, back, we'll give us oh, yeah, well, no I, doubt. Yeah, I appreciated all that. I thought I thought that was fine, actually. 
And I mean, okay. I, I I like the 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 chant, the the Martina Martina Bane Bane. I like I like that. I, that, that Is that what they're saying? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. You're such a geek that you know that. It's awesome. Rise. <laughs> the see the okay. I'll wait for tomorrow for that point. As well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Spoiler the free as we can be. Okay, well, <laughs> that's a, that's, what? that's your new slogan: is spoiler free as we can be. <laughs> that's a good one too. Although I still like the uh, what we came up with in the beginning. Let or give us your ears. <laughs> is that it then? Can we get to a rating for the Dark Knight Rises? I think so. Let's do it. Okay, then that's gonna do it for our talk about <laughs> Dark Knight Rises for for now. We'll put a button on it right now. Um, so each week and now, now we of course try to rate the movies based on when you should go and see them. <laughs> um, our scale goes from IMAX to theater to dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. Mark, where would you put The Dark Knight Rises on that scale? I mean, is there any doubt the way I've been talking about it? <laughs> IMAX. Adam? Um, it's one of those things where if you love Batman or if you have seen any of those two, you're going to go see this film. So it doesn't really matter as far as what I say on that. But I would have to go with dollar theater. Abe? Uh, yeah, IMAX. I mean, there's some visuals in here that are very just very breathtaking, and they're just very still shots. Yeah, I, I say IMAX in terms of both quality and theater. You should go and see it. In. <laughs> All right, so uh, then let's move on. Then let's get to a little movie movie callback. Callback, callback, callback. And this is, of course, where we talk about a couple films that we might have thought of while watching uh, Dark Knight Rises or, you know, thought of after the fact. And so let's continue in the same order. Mark, any films come to mind? So just in the interest of time, I'm only going to mention one, and that movie is Rocky. And the reason is because there's sort of a, there's kind of a part in the film where Bruce Wayne is kind of like Rocky. He, they, he's sort of the underdog, and he's kind of like training. And I just That's thought a of good Rocky. Call. Yeah, and he's like training. I almost heard that dun 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 dun. Anyway. So the and part I, where it's I, like I gonna fly now. That's not like the typical. Of course, Pittsburgh's also in the same state as Philadelphia, so that works as well. <laughs> and it's not like a typical movie to call out, but I just, there was aspects to it. When you see the film, you totally will see Rocky in it. I, when you watch it again, you'll see it. I like it. I like it too. Adam? Um, I Actually, instead of referencing another film, something that really struck me as far as a current event was uh, Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Occupy yeah. Wall Street parallels in this movie. Although if you try to actually pigeonhole the actual politics of the movie... It gets a little bit, you get a little bit of a headache just because, I mean, liberals could make an argument that it argues for one thing, conservatives for another, but I really found it was interesting the way that for a script that was written a few years ago, it really ties into some current concerns and current movements in a really interesting way. Abe? Um, I thought of, uh, the one that came to mind a lot was just Sherlock 2, Game of Shadows, um, for obvious reasons. Okay. (laughs) What? (laughs) I, yeah, I what see, are those obvious reasons? I see where you're going. Yeah. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Aaron? Yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, <laughs> movie's a kid. I already mentioned Spider-Man 3 in terms of exposition butler use. And uh, the the plot of Transformers Dark of the Moon seems to line up pretty similarly with The bat, with the Dark Knight Rises. I kind of noticed that as well, hmm. which seemed very interesting to me. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of... And then that you mentioned the, the go, fall earlier. One can die. Oh, yeah, the fall in terms of, yeah, some of the visuals that happened. What, what, Abe? Sorry? Batman pretends to go away so that everyone in Gotham can die. Well, in terms of there's a long setup for what's going on, followed by certain things transpire in a city that are not favorable until something happens for things to turn back in their favor. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I'm at with that. Um, okay, so that's movie callback. 
Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of table box office for now. We're going to wait till um, I believe if we're going to have Scott Mendelson on tomorrow, and you know he loves to talk his numbers. So we're, we're gonna, <laughs> and we so we haven't actually been given official box office results yet. So uh, we're just going to kind of hold off on talking about the box office for now in regards to the Dark Knight Rises. But that does mean we might have some some time for some games. Oof. It's pretty dark this week. Chilling. <laughs> okay, so I have a new game. Uh, All right. Yep, new game, guys. It's called Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Bat? Now, this game, which I've carefully prepared, I, I have lots. I have a lot of quotes, all from different villains in different Batman movies. So I'm going to read each quote, and one of you oh, has to get it. Excellent. It, it might be tough. It might be easy. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the various quotes of the Darius villains from the bat. I, I tried not to pick the obvious ones, so there's no oh, I, great. there's no ice puns. What killed the dinosaurs? The ice age. Basically, there's no there's no there, there's my cheese. <laughs> the, we're there's gonna the have hello. to give you what the the movie the villain. Here's the first one. I have given a name to my pain, and it is Batman. Two face. Wrong. So no one else wants to guess at all, so I will read the answer then. It is the Joker from the first Batman. Oh, yeah. Okay, here it is. So many people to kill, so little time. The Riddler? Incorrect. Penguin? It is Poison Ivy. <sighs> I'll try to exclaim on this one. Why can't you just die? Uh, the Scarecrow. Uh, Joker. <laughs> it's 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 the Riddler. It's too. It's, it's from it's from Batman uh, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Yeah. Two Face. This game is proven to be a lot harder than we all thought. Okay, well, here here we go. Here's a new one. Gentlemen, time to spread the word, and the word is panic. The Joker. Incorrect. The Riddler. It is Ra's Al Ghul. I was just kidding. <laughs> I have so many more of these. We're all blanks <laughs> right now. Okay. I believe... Hey, if, if we win this, do we get to be on the Avengers podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I, nice I believe the word you're looking for is... Ah! The penguin. It is the penguin. Yeah. Abe is on the board. <laughs> Woo! A little fight in you. I like that. Joker. It is the Joker. Okay. That's the power of fear. Scarecrow? Close. Razal Ghoul? Carmine Falcone. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. I'm sorry, I thought you just watched Batman Begins. I hate it when they talk during the movie. Uh, Joker. No. Nope. Is it Two Face? It is Mr. Freeze. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! No. Oh, I'm totally. I hate it when they talk during the movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not about what I want, it's about what's fair. Catwoman. No. Oh, it's gotta be Two-Face. It is Two-Face. Oh, yes. You're just jealous because I'm a genuine freak and you have to wear a mask. This seemed like an easier one to me. Steve Urkel. The Penguin. <laughs> I was close. The pen <laughs> is truly mightier than the sword. The Penguin. No, Joker. It is the Joker. Oh, yes. I actually true. remember that one. Yeah, from 89. Now the real game begins. Christopher Walken. <laughs> uh, Aaron Newworth. The Riddler. He plays games. 
Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I chose a quote from a movie. Um, if someone stands in the way of true justice, you simply walk up behind them and stab them in the heart? Calvin. Incorrect. Mm. Is it one of those obscure villains? Nope. It is Raz Al Ghul. Oh. Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> hey. It's not the penguin? No, it's not the penguin. Joker? It is the Joker. Rhubarb. Oh, that was Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, yeah. A good rhubarb joke. Excellent. If revenge is a dish best served cold, then put on your Sunday finest. It's time to feast. Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze. You are not sending me to the cooler. You poor guys, always confusing your pistols with your privates. Poison Ivy? Incorrect. Catwoman. Catwoman. Michelle Pfeiffer? Yes. When a forest grows too wild, a purging fire is inevitable and natural. Well, that would be Poison Ivy. No. It's Raz Al Ghul. Ah. Good old Raz. Razzy. <laughs> you look like a man who takes himself too seriously. Joker. Two-Face. Scarecrow. <laughs> this is the hardest game I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just blank. <laughs> well, at least you're having a good time, Aaron. <laughs> See, I'm a man of simple tastes. I enjoy dynamite and gunpowder and gasoline. Joker. It is the, that is the Joker. I now do what other people only dream. I make art until someone dies. See, I'm the world's first fully functioning homicidal artist. Joker. Joker? That is the Joker. The bat's stubborn refusal to expire is driving us insane. Two-Face. That is Two-Face. Dude, the bat's stubble? Stubborn. Stubborn. Refusal. Stubborn. Yep, the bat's stubble refusal. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just won't change. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like every woman you try to save ends up dead or deeply resentful. Maybe you should retire. Hmm. I don't know. That is Catwoman. Ah. Two more. Did you ever wonder what it would be like to listen to her die? Joker. Two-Face. Two-Face is the answer for that one. As though we were made for each other, Beauty and the Beast. Of course, if anyone calls you Beast, I'll rip their lungs out. The Joker. That is the Joker. <laughs> I'll say Abe took that one. <laughs> by, by like a half margin. <laughs> nah. How many, wait, how many total did you have there? Uh, one, two, like 25? 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 26. Did 26. you give an actual score or just guess? No, I, I think it just sounded like Abe got the vote. No, and I, I think I got like three. Adam, you got two. And Mark, you got one. So out of 26, we got six. I know I got at least two because I got two. Okay, so we got seven out of 26. We are just too awesome. (laughs) All right. I guess that means we should do another game. (laughs) Mark Mark was looking forward to the ABCs of movies, I think, so we should do that. Do it. ABCs of movies. Are we all familiar with the rules of the ABCs of movies? Yes. Okay. We'll start, as always, in alphabetical order, which will go myself, Adam, no, myself, Abe, Adam, and then Mark. <laughs> All right. Remember, the counts as a T, so do not use movies that start with the word the unless you're on the letter T. So I will begin. About a boy. Uh, bad boys. Be Adam. Uh, I'm blanking on a C. <laughs> Adam's Adam's. <laughs> Oh, Adam. Marks up. Marks up. I feel bad. <laughs> Have fun, guys. 
Oh, wait, I'm in C. You're at C. Crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> uh, duck soup. Uh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm about to. I was going to say The Elephant Man, but it's like the... I can't believe I can't think of an E movie. Eraser. Damn. Uh, I'm out. So what, what am I on now? E. You're on E. What? E. So eraser head. Uh, <laughs> you're both out on C and E. It's so early. Um. Okay. F. Yes. Uh, F for fake. Uh, Georgie girl. What? I'm on G. Yeah. Yeah, Georgie girl. What's Georgie girl? That's isn't that a. It's a movie, like an old I'll movie. Be your, I'll be your fact checker since I have, you know, nothing else to do with them out. George that song, that, hey there, Georgie girl. It's like from the 60s. All right. Yeah, it's a 1966 British. Oh, yeah, it's, uh-huh. it's a famous movie. Uh, Lynn Redgrave was in it. James Mason. Alan Bates, Charlotte Rampling. Okay. You've heard of those people? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> sorry sorry yeah. to inject a little culture. Put, put, put your teacup down. Put your little thing back <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. Yes, it is, a, it, oh. is a, it is a British movie. Halloween 2. Uh, <laughs> nice. Ice Castles? <laughs> what is Ice Castles? Backjacker. <laughs> I don't disbelieve you. I just like these are two like obscure ones. There, there's actually two films with ice castles. One in 2010, one in Benson and Tom Skerritt. It's about ice skating. Jurassic Park. Uh, uh, Kiss Me Deadly. I don't know if there's. Yeah, that's a noir. That's a noir. I know that. I have that on criteria. It's a great movie. That is one. 1955. Yeah. Um, Lions for Lambs. What, what was it? Lions for Lambs. Um, Classic. Mississippi Burning. <laughs> I can't think of one. No, that was a really difficult game with the ABCs of movies. <laughs> yeah. Those are some good Wow. Way to go, Mark. Yeah, congratulations. What a hard set of games we played today. <laughs> I almost said we should do it again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't let the fear overcome you there. You kept your cool and you beat Aaron. <laughs> it, which is not easy. <laughs> All right, so we want to move on then, I guess. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on then. Let's move on to what we're going to talk about next week. Well, just as a reminder, as, a, as if someone forgot, we do have a spoiler episode for The Dark Knight Rises, which will be coming soon after this episode. As there, yeah, and... Um, so yeah, that that will be happening. But next week on the podcast, we will be talking about Step Up Revolution, the latest in the Step Up franchise, the I believe the most profitable dance franchise ever. I think that's um, how it's been advertised in some of the TV spots I've seen. And because there are so many profitable dance franchises, uh, there is a little film series called Breakin' Adam, <laughs> which uh, which was followed uh, up by and- the sequel Breakin' Two: Electric Boogaloo. Starring the incomparable Shabadoo. The incomparable <laughs> Shabadoo. Love <laughs> I, 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 you know, it. You know, Dr. Seuss. You, you, know, you know what's not a dance franchise? Singing in the Rain. So there. How about that? <laughs> exactly. It was no sequel to that. Um, yes. So we are, yeah, yes. <laughs> so uh, until the hologram of Fred Astaire comes along. But um, the. Fred Astaire wasn't in Singing in the Rain. Aaron. Oh, Gene Kelly. Gene, I'm, I'm, 
I'm tired. Um, okay. We're blanking. Yeah. yeah, you mean Gene Kelly. Yeah. I did mean Gene Kelly. <laughs> Gene Kelly was in Xanadu. Maybe that could be thought of as a, as a, a sequel. A spiritual sequel. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about Step Up Revolution next week, and we're going to maybe talk about The Watch, too. We'll see. But... Um, there we have a we have something coming up for the other step up films planned as well and we'll just leave it at that for now yes but it's something that i believe is it it involves doing something for the first time ever i believe in just in general so uh, i'm excited for that abe you excited for that i am excited okay. i think that our listeners uh, might be either very perplexed when it happens or incredibly excited with us. Abe, I'm pretty sure anytime we mention the word Step Up, the listeners just start salivating in anticipation for what we have in store for things related to Step Up. So we'll just we'll, we'll just leave it there for now. But uh, yeah, that is our plan for next week. But uh, I have no idea how to predict the box office for Step Up <laughs> Revolution. But um, we can try, I guess. Uh, the Watch is coming out and... And The Dark Knight exists. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'll say... Uh... Let me let me read up. out some facts regarding the past step up films to really help narrow things down for you guys. Oh, that's okay. Oh, yes, I'm waiting. <laughs> Coming up with right now. Okay, here we go. The um, opening weekends for the previous step up films. The first step up film opened to twenty million dollars back in two thousand six. Uh, the second step up film, Step Up to the Streets, opened to eighteen million, and Step Up 3D opened to fifteen million. Well, I will say this new one will be twenty million in position number two. I will say that this will be in fourth place, and it will be sixteen million. Okay, I'm gonna say third place with with seventeen million. <laughs> oh, that was I was gonna say seventeen. What are the guesses now? Sixteen, seventeen, Adam, Adam, and you have second place, I believe. Ah, uh, yeah, second place. Abe, you have fourth with sixteen. Four. Yeah. I have third with seventeen. Uh, well, I guess I'll say 15, with, and I'll say third. This, you realize, this is, a, this uh, is important, Mark. Abe, you almost have no chance of winning unless you get it, like, exactly right. <laughs> Fourth place of 16? Listen, guys, well, it's just I, have, that I have complete I said 15 confidence. I've complete... Well, we've, so, we've also guessed different positions on the box office, like on the, the right, numbered right, scale. So yeah. I, I'm just I'm surprised that you know I don't have complete confidence in Abe. I mean, come on. The guy, the guy's... Yeah. Mark, you, you, Mark you've actually pointed out how correct Abe has been in the past. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's had some remarkable exactly, pulls, guys. Come on. It probably will do exactly 16. I months. actually have a DeLorean in my driveway. He, he has the box office almanac in his car. Exactly. When I was talking to Elvis, you know, he told me kind of what I could expect. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So that's our predictions for the upcoming Step Up Revolution re- review show. I, I, and now I, I am saying yes, we are going to talk about Step Up Revolution, and I, I don't know if that like disappoints people or not. I don't know if that means they're looking forward to it more. But I am legitimately excited to talk about this movie, and I do have a good special guest that I'm really excited to have on the show to talk about Step Up Revolution with. So I like I, I hope that show turns out well. I'm looking forward to having fun watching that movie and you know going into this next podcast episode with it. But I am going to say I am taking this completely seriously. I'm not joking about this. I am looking forward to watching the next Step Up movie. And, and this special guest, are you going to say who it is? Or? I will say it is a comedian, and I'm a fan of this person. All right, so that's, uh, well, that's leading us into the end here. So, you know, basically we're on a to-be-continued with The Dark Knight Rises for now. But for this episode, that's going to do it this week for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodeisique.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews, as well as the Comic-Con coverage that I mentioned earlier. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3. Abe? 
Uh, you can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Mark? You can find more of my work on my personal blog, fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com. That's fastfilmreviews, all one word, dot wordpress.com. And then you can also follow me on Twitter at Mark underscore Hoban. Adam? You can find more of my work at Things I Know About the Movies, located at www.everythingyouallwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com, at moviesmackdown.com, and at twitter.com slash iltwinanarchist. Awesome. And you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes at hhwlod.com, where you can find our show as well as the other shows on that network that include The Walking Dead TV Podcast and The Legion of Dudes and other shows about comics and movies and games and stuff. You can also find most of our newest episodes and some exclusives, which includes an interview that I had to do for Comic-Con last week at outnow.podomatic.com. You can also email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. We're looking forward to hearing responses regarding our Dark Knight Rise review, so feel free to you know email your whatever comments or further questions or reactions you may have had to you know the movie or to what we had to say about it. And, of course, follow our pages at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. We post all the updates and various other things on those various pages and, you know, Twitter handles. So, you know, feel free to involve yourself in there. Um, that's going to do it for this week's episode and, of course, this first half of the Dark Knight Rises review. Um, you can look forward to hearing our spoiler-filled discussion of the Dark Knight Rises at a later time. But for now, that's going to do it. So, so long. And goodbye.
Batman. Yeah. Are you staying for the party? If I stay, there can be no party. I must be out there in the night, staying vigilant. Wherever a party needs to be saved, I'm there. Wherever there are masks, wherever there's tomfoolery and joy, I'm there. But sometimes I'm not, because I'm out in the night, staying vigilant, watching, lurking, running, jumping, hurtling, sleeping. No, I can't sleep. You sleep. I'm awake. I don't sleep. I don't blink. Am I a bird? No. I'm a bat. I am Batman. Or am I? Yes, I am Batman. <laughs>